Today's scripture reading is from Romans 6, 1 through 14. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page number 807 in your worship Bible. Please stand for the reading of the word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin with a grace uh, that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in any resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die, never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, for the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ in Christ Jesus. Let us not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, so make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from life to death, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are under law, not under law, but under grace. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Last Sunday, as you know, it was our privilege to celebrate Jesus' resurrection here at Church at the Chip. What a magnificent day it was. We don't even know how many people came to worship that day. All we know is we made 450 bulletins, and we ran out before everybody got in the second service. So there are a lot of you who were here, and some of you in the second service. I don't know if you had a place to sit or not, but we were glad uh, to be able to offer that for you. It was a fantastic day. If only we could celebrate Easter every Sunday. I have good news for you. We can. Every Sunday for the Christian is Easter Sunday. In fact, one of the reasons the church has met on, have you ever wondered why the church stopped meeting on the Sabbath? And they start to meet, because the Sabbath is not Sunday. When is the Sabbath? Saturday at the Sabbath. Uh, it began to meet on Sundays was because they wanted to recognize the resurrection of Jesus from the dead on the first day of the week. The first day of the week was important to them. Jesus rose on the first day of the week, and the first day of the week was the day that the first creation began when God said, let there be light, and the evening and the morning was the first day. And so they and we found tremendous significance that Jesus in an act of new creation, was raised on the first day 
of the week. And so we call it the Lord's, the Lord's day. And so we worship, we recognize Jesus' resurrection every Sunday morning that we gather. So, uh, uh, so with that in mind, then, let's continue to our, have our Easter celebration each Sunday morning. Can we do that? All right, every time we gather, we can do that. So this morning, I would like to take a little bit of time to think a little bit more about Jesus' resurrection. One of the things that happens on Easter every year is that it's such a big day, and there's always so many guests that are here. There's always so much going on. There's only so much the preacher can say on Easter Sunday morning. And every time, you know, because like last Sunday, you know, we have, we have the service at 7 o'clock, and then a lot of you know breakfast is starting at 8 o'clock, and so you start coming at 7.30 to get right to the front of the line, and I'm still preaching, right? And I'm thinking about that. Well, this, so I've got to be very careful of time. And then the second service, of course, we had uh, the buffalo chip had that Easter egg hunt going on, and I didn't really want to have too much competition with an Easter egg hunt. There's just so much going on, so many people to greet, so many hellos to have, only so much that can be done that I often feel as though I don't get to think and sit and soak in the resurrection like I want to. So we're gonna, this year, we're going to talk about the resurrection again. And maybe we will again next week. We'll keep doing it till we're ready to move on, you know, to Ascension Sunday, probably in a few weeks, and Pentecost Sunday as we follow this church year together. So I want to talk a little bit about the resurrection from a little different perspective today. I'm just calling this resurrection reflection. I mean, we're just family, right? We're just sort of making this up as we go, right? We're just coming together to honor Jesus. And I would just like to offer you some reflections from the scriptures about Jesus's resurrection, particularly in the section which Beverly, Beverly read for you today, which is not part of the Gospels. It's not part, not really telling the story of Jesus's resurrection, but it makes an important and vital statement about the resurrection and what it means for you and me. So let's not miss that this year as we think about the resurrection there's a section I'd like you to particularly notice. I even highlighted it, I think, in your, in, your, in your message notes as well. He says in the fourth or fifth verse of that sixth chapter, As Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now think about that. Paul is saying to these people, just like Christ was raised from the dead, we too are raised from the dead in a manner of speaking. We are given a new kind of life. So one of the implications of the resurrection is it gives to us a, an, an altogether different way of being human. New creation begins to happen when we identify with Jesus in his death and resurrection. The new, that the scripture says in this that the new life which Jesus emerged out of the grave gets somehow imparted and implanted in our hearts when we by faith respond in faith to him and trust in him. So the resurrection has current practical implications for you and me. It means that not only did Jesus become something new when he was raised from the dead, like himself, but more like himself than himself, when you and I respond in faith to Jesus Christ, we become something new, like ourselves, but more like ourselves than ourselves. We find ourselves becoming more the Steve that we were meant to be because the Steve that was grasping at becoming something has died under the weight of Jesus' death, and the new Steve is emerging out of that. 
the one that God first had in mind. What does that all mean? Well, let's take a look at that this morning. I'd like you to think of a couple things. We want you to see here that the resurrection of Jesus makes us new creation people who have new creation priorities and follow new creation practices. New creation people, new creation priorities, new creation practices that are outlined for us here in this, uh, in, in this text and in other texts of Scripture. So first of all, because of Jesus' resurrection, we are new creation people. See, when, when many Christians, including ourselves and myself often, think about the resurrection, we come to Easter, we tend to think about the resurrection from a very limited, though true, scope. These are all true statements, but we think of the resurrection as, first of all, proof that Jesus was divine. He didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead. Therefore, Thomas could say to them, my Lord and my God. That's all true. That's all true. The resurrection proves the divinity of Jesus and makes then everything he did and everything he said the weight, have the weight of God himself, the divine, speaking to us. That's true, but the resurrection is more than just that. The resurrection is also more than just proof that there is life beyond the grave. It is proof that there is life beyond the grave because Jesus went, remember, Jesus didn't just go come back to life like Lazarus did or like some of the others that Jesus healed. They came back to the same human life. Jesus went through death to a new kind of re-embodied existence. It could be recognized, but it had properties different than it had before. He went through death so that, of course, the resurrection does prove to us, without a shadow of doubt, beyond the shadow of doubt, that there is something beyond the grave because Jesus has gone through it. He, the body was, the grave was empty, the body was gone, the Lord was seen, the people were changed, the, the story grew by leaps and bounds. Yes, it is, of course, proof that there is life beyond the grave, but it's not only that. And if we think of only that, we're missing more than that. Also, the resurrection is not only proof that our sins were forgiven on the cross. It is proof that our sins were forgiven on the cross. And that's a good thing to know, isn't it? Aren't you glad to know that the debt for your sins was paid when Jesus, some of you, did you get, we didn't have time to talk about this. When we, this, first of all, it had sins on it, right? On Palm Sunday. Some of you remember doing that? Then we burned the sins. And then on Easter Sunday, what'd you find? But the new life of butterflies on the cross. Why? Because our sins are forgiven. The resurrection is the promise that our sins truly were paid for and are forgiven. Resurrection involves all three of those things, and we thank God for them. And yet that's often all we think about. We want to say it's proof that he was divine. It's proof there's his life beyond the grave. It's proof that we are forgiven by, by Jesus' death on the cross. But also I want you to see one more thing about the resurrection. The resurrection has a direct effect on our lives here and now, right here, right now. The resurrection, according to what Paul says and other scriptures say as well, makes us, when we, when we trust in Christ, part of that new life that Jesus emerged through the grave on, part of that new life gets planted like a seed in your heart, and you are beginning to become a different kind of person, a more loving person, a more forgiving person, a more giving person, a more generous person, a, more, uh, a less judgmental. You're becoming a different kind of person because the life of God is being birthed in you 
because of the resurrection of Jesus. Look at what this text says. Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's not just a promise about days ahead in heaven. It's talking about right here, right now. He's talking about the direct effects of the resurrection. It makes us a new kind of person. It puts thoughts and ideas and, and desires into our hearts that we'd never had before. I used to perhaps think the Bible was a boring and closed book, and now I can't wait to read it. It speaks to me. Why? The resurrection and my trust in Jesus has begun to birth in me a, a thirst like a plant's roots seeking out soil where, uh, through the soil to find deep roots. My roots want to go deep into the soil of something nourishing, and I find nourishment in God's Word. Why? Because of the life that's been given to me. When I place my faith in Jesus Christ, I find myself... I find myself walking into a situation that I always did the same thing all the time and never thought about it, but now I'm thinking differently about it. Maybe I shouldn't say that thing. Maybe I shouldn't say what I was going to say, do what I was going to do. Why? Because I'm, I'm becoming a new kind of person. I'm not doing it because I'm afraid God's going to condemn me. No, 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 because I've been forgiven anyway. But I'm becoming a more selfless rather than selfish person. That's what the resurrection does. I'm beginning to walk in newness of life. We are new creation people because of Jesus' resurrection. Yes, I have a brand new kind of life. The scripture, uh, the scripture speaks about this in other ways as well. In Colossians 3 and verse 10, it says, We have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. A new self, a new embodied self, not just my mind, but a new self. Really, I'm really becoming, I'm becoming my, my true self. The me I know I want to be. You ever feel that person inside of you? You do, don't you? It's a person that feels loved and accepted and is not so um, 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 you know, overwhelmed by the disapproval of others. You don't need it quite so bad as you needed it before because you have the approval of God. And you can achieve things and, and give yourself to projects that matter to you, that make a difference in the world without having your own personal sense of self-identity so tied up in it that you're... you're ever, ever been just sort of wound up because too much was at stake? Yes, many of us are living as if our lives depend on our careers. They don't because Jesus loves me and gave himself for me. He rose from the dead. So I can give myself career. It's a good thing, but it's no longer the ultimate thing. Or my family. I love my family, of course, but I don't, I don't have to have a perfect family to feel like I'm a, perfect, a good person. No, I have faults in my family, but I love them. Yes, I'm becoming the me I always wanted to be. The me that feels like I'm living within my own skin, not wearing something else given to me by my parents or by my culture. That's what it means by putting on the new self, putting on the true self. The you self, the human self, 
That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Yes, he says, you got to see, we are new creation people. Galatians 6, 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Jesus made us a new kind of person, and he made out of us all a new kind of community. That's why the church matters. It's not just a place you go to to get, to get dispensed spiritual wisdom and vitamins or medicine to help you through the week. No, it's part of a new family, a new community, a new brotherhood, a new sisterhood, a new body, a new building, all these things, a whole new humanity. We're all part of this, and it's all because of the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we remember his death and resurrection every time we come together, when we take the Lord's table together. Yes. You see, God had a great plan in mind when he made this world. He, peep, he put all the blessings, all the resources of this world for a beautiful, fruitful creation. And he put humanity in it and made us in his image so that we would be stewards of this creation. We are like angled mirrors. We were meant to be a mirror which would reflect the glory of God in the world, looking for the creating the beauty and the flourishing of all this creation. But the angled mirror also would become a reflection of the praises and the glory, the honor, the adoration, the thanksgiving of creation back to God. That's what it means to be the image of God in my mind. But what did we do? We turned the mirror from this way to this way. And all we see is ourselves. And all we can see is our faults. And all we can see is our dreams. And so instead of being stewards of creation and stewards of relationships and stewards of life, we are abusers of creation, abusers of relationships, abusers of life, not in the, always the most dramatic sense, but we take the resources and we use them just for ourselves so that we have more and others have less. We take relationships and we, we have them affirm our own identity. Yes, all, and we... Uh, and we build cultural systems that keep some people out and some people in so that we can be on the in and others are on the out so we know we're all good. It's all a mixed-up system, right? That's what Jesus came to fix. And he didn't fix it by divine fiat, but rather by the cry of a little baby born to a human family when God began to live in human skin. God rescued this creation by coming and living in this creation and living the only truly human life that has ever been lived yet to date. That man, Jesus, that child, that young man, that prophet, that one who brought the love and the acceptance and the joy of the kingdom of God to everyone that he met, that one. That one who said, oh, yes, I am your king. As we, if you've been with us for a few weeks, yes, I am your king. I am your Messiah. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to give my life for you. He would die under the weight of this world's selfish self-pride and rebellion and, and, and but thereby defuse it of all of its power so that he could be raised again to a new life. And then could say to his disciples when he came to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them. And new life began to emerge in them, the true life 
Yes, Jesus' death and resurrection restored what was marred. And yes, it will not be fully complete until that last day at the final general resurrection. It's as if the future day came and joined us in the present when, when a part of the future came to today, back to the future we might say, or from, from the future came to us today and, and brought the future in so that we are now tasting the future, a foretaste, the, the hymn says, of glory divine. We are new creation people. And so because of that, we have new creation priorities. Secondly, we have new creation priorities. We're trying to figure this out, all of us. What does it mean to live and to allow the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus, what does it mean to allow Him to change me from the inside out? What does it mean to live out that way in my family, in my neighborhood, in my politics, in my world, in my community? What, is it, what does it mean to live like a new creation person? And so in the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, we're trying to, as he says there, take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, the, the growing Christian is learning how to evaluate everything according to the way Jesus would have me evaluate. So you hear something on the news, you find yourself thinking a certain kind of a thing, you watch a certain kind of thing, and you're taking every, you're, you're surrendering it all to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So we have, uh, uh, we have some different priorities. He says we, we must not worship the things of this world like we often do, but instead we should worship the one who made the world. Yes, we should care for the earth. God made this earth, but we do not worship the earth. As one writer said in the early 20th century, G.K. Chesterton, the earth is not your mother. The earth is your sister. Respect her. She has the same parent. You do. Big difference between seeing the world as my sister and the world as my mother when a lot of us think of the world culture simply as my gold mine. <laughs> the thing I use to make myself rich, whatever the cost to future generations, yes. Yeah, the, uh, the God has given to us, for example, the gifts of our humanity, the maleness and femaleness that we enjoy, and made us part of that reproductive process. We are co-creators with God, and we, we have the, we have, we are, we, God has made us as sexual selves. We need a perfect identity and plan for that, but you see how it gets turned around in our culture, and as soon as you start blaming your culture, you know what happens. You start to think, oh, my goodness, I'm part of the problem too, aren't I? In the way I think about my own sexuality, it's all, yes, we've taken the good things that God has given to us, whether it's the earth or our sexuality, we've begun to make gods of those things, idols of those things, and we turn everything around. So the Christian is trying to learn how to be a person who stewards creation without worshiping creation or abusing creation. A person who blesses and honors our sexual selves, but finding in a way that is self-giving and not self-serving. You know, and God has given us all these resources. We've turned these resources into money, and, and, and money then becomes a way of now then affirming my identity outside of God, and, and we can worship money. Yes, and Jesus spoke about that a lot. We're not meant to worship money, but how can we use it to be, sir, money makes a good servant, but not a good master. See, Christians start to think differently. And to think about the way the world's wealth is distributed, and they ask themselves sometimes hard questions. Is this just because some people are lazy and some people are not? 
They ask themselves. They take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Yes, God has given to us these gifts, and uh, we tend to worship them. And so the new creation people are willing to be different. And I know a lot of times people in our culture, we bemoan the fact that Christian values are no longer respected like they once were. And we certainly would like for them to be respected like they once were. But then we use it as an excuse to bemoan and complain and to cry, baby, and we forget about it, that the world was a lot worse in the first century when Christians were first getting started. They had no cultural cachet, nothing. And everything they did was an affront to their culture. But they loved people. They cared for people. They took in abandoned children when other people wouldn't. They stayed true to their spouses when other people didn't. They gave away their money when other people hoarded their money. They came and cared for the, the people during the plagues. You can read about this in the second century. They cared for the people who were dying because of the plague. They didn't run away like so many did, and many of them lost their lives because they had hope beyond the grave. They were very different from their culture. They were sometimes even persecuted in even very difficult ways, and yet God changed the world for them because they had been changed from the inside out. They had new creation priorities. Yes, they were learning how to not worship the things of this world and instead worship the God who had made them and loved them and given themselves for them and put new life within them until the day when they live with him eternally. And that changed everything about the way they lived. And it meant they had hard questions. They were different from their culture, but not in a, in a critical, judgmental type of way, but in the Jesus kind of way. Because the God they served had come to be them with them and had voluntarily given his life for them. It was a sacrifice, and so they lived sacrificially. Yes, because of Resurrection Sunday, we are new creation people. We have new creation priorities. And finally, we follow new creation practices. We follow new creation practices. We try to live in such a way so that new creation has a chance to grow up within us. Think of it perhaps about like a seed that is growing. There is life within the seed, but it is possible to squelch or destroy that life by abuse. And there is life within us, and, and we, can, we can either do practices in our lives that help to encourage the life of Jesus to grow in us, or we can discourage the life of Jesus as it grows within us. And so we try to have good practices. And so that's why it says here at the end of this text here, I didn't exactly read it all for you, but you had it read for you already before. It says, so then you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present yourselves members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. How do I begin to allow new creation to emerge within me? Well, first of all, I need to consider and then let go and then present. Verse 11, consider yourselves dead to sin. The word for consider is really the word calculate. In the older versions, reckon yourselves. Act on the basis of it. 
you, 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 you calculate. What, what he's really saying is take a look at what Jesus has done for you, add it all up, and understand that I have now a new life because of God. In Jesus. And that sinful life has no more control over me. I see most of us believe a lie. We think we can't be any different. We think we're stuck. We think, no, he says, consider, reckon, take a look and see the truth. Reckon on the truth. Decide to live like who you are. It's a, it's a truth to affirm. I need to say I'm dead to sin and alive to God when I'm facing one kind of temptation or another. No, I don't have to give in to that. I can be different than that because I have a new life within me. Believe it to be true. Act on the basis of its truth. You see, sin has no power over me. Sin is dead to me. Christ's death has freed me from its power. Look at verses 5 to 7 and you'll see that. I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God. Look at verses 8 to 10, and you'll, you'll see that. Consider, reckon the truth. Decide to live like who you are. Part of that decision means asking yourself, have I ever really placed my trust and faith in Jesus Christ? Have I really ever really given my heart to him? Have I ever been baptized as a testimony of that faith in Christ? That's where it begins if it's not begun there yet. That's where it begins by responding to the good news about Jesus. But having done that, as many of you have, I then now to stop, now need to stop believing the lie that I have no other alternative and believe the truth instead that I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God. I don't have to be selfish. I can be selfless. I don't have to use sex to just meet my needs. I can use sex to honor God and His glory. I don't have to use money just to pad my own nest. I can use money in a way to serve people. I don't have to power up on people. I can do what God did. He powered down for us, you know. That's how He showed His greatness and His glory. I don't have to do any of that. But then the second thing is let go. Consider the truth. Let go. That means refuse the habits of death. Refuse the habits of death. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You've got to let go if you want to grab something new. And many of us are holding on to things that we don't want to let go of. No, no change will happen. You will squelch what God is trying to do in your life. You keep hanging on to that. Letting go can be very, very difficult, but that's exactly what he said to do. Let go. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. Don't, see, as you give it space in your life, it begins to take control of your life. Don't let it do that. Let go. And the third thing, present. Do not present yourselves, members, to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Present yourself to God as one who has been made alive through Jesus Christ. And the words, some of you will notice, mimic words from Romans chapter 12 later in this Bible, this book. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, in view of the mercies of God, that you do not that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You know, one reason we gather for worship every week is because we want to be reminded of that story 
and want to offer again ourselves again and anew to the one whose death paid for our sin, the one whose life gives to us new life. We want to be reminded of that story every week. Yes, I want to begin to present myself to embrace the habits of life as an act of worship. Oh, there's so much more that could be said about this. But what a blessing it is to know that the resurrection of Jesus didn't just forgive you of your sins. It made you a new person. It made you a new person. The resurrection of Jesus just didn't assure you of life beyond the grave. It assured you that the eternal life is already yours because you are alive because of what he did for you. The resurrection of Jesus brings new life to us. You know, about a couple years ago, I decided I was tired of being out of shape. I wanted to be a different person. I began to ride a bicycle. And if any of you ever tried to get exercise when you haven't been exercising for a long period of time, you know what a hellish experience that is, right? But, and I remember saying to Donna after months of riding my bicycle, oh, she says, are you ever going to like this? And I said, I hope so. It doesn't seem like I ever will. But you know what happened. Now, in order to present my body to a healthy body, right? I had to believe that there was a healthy body in there somewhere, right? And I had to be willing to let go of things like sleep and ice cream and homemade bread, all of which have been a regular part of my life. I needed to let go of comfort and ease I needed to be willing to do some hard things that were hard for me to do. And then I needed to add to that practices, which were very important. I needed to get on that bike and just say, I don't care, I'm just riding. If I only go 10 miles, that's okay. I, I just, I'm just going to go. And I just had to do it day after day after day after month after month after month until after a while, I began to notice my belts were getting bigger. They weren't getting bigger. My waist was getting a little smaller. I began to notice that when I would walk places, I didn't quit quite so tired out as I used to get. I was becoming a better me. I liked myself better that way, right? And you know, if you are a follower of Jesus, and if you're not, that's where you start. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to believe that there is a better you inside of you that is there, that you have a new life because of him. It's there. And you've got to decide, I want that life. I want that life. I want the life of God to be manifest in me. And then you're going to have to go through a lot of death, a lot of death, a lot of letting go giving up some of your time, giving up some of your habits, giving up some of your, you know, uh, uh, self-sovereignty, and beginning to pay the price. And then add to that some really good habits, like reading the Scriptures, like making worship a priority, like observing the Lord's Supper, like being a part of a family, all those. And you might hate it for a long period of time. You might hate everything about it. But there will come a day when you'll get on that bike 
and you say, I get to go for a ride today. How many miles am I going to do? How am I going to do? And you will find that little by little, the Holy Spirit of God has been changing you moment by moment from the inside out because of your reckoning of the truth of the gospel. You're letting go of the things that hinder that in your life. And you're adding to your life, presenting yourself to the things that help you to grow. And you will find yourself saying, my goodness, I'm different today than I was a year ago. May God grant that that would be the case. All because of Jesus, who we worship today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for your love for us, that you paid the price for us. I think of those words in the book of Hebrews, in the 12th chapter, which say, seeing also we are encompassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which doth so easily beset us, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is set at the right hand of the Father. Consider him that you do not give up or lose hope. Thank you that Jesus did not give up on us. Thank you for the new life that is ours. We reckon on his truth. We let go of stuff that gets in its way. And we embrace the habits of worship and sacrifice and all the things that go on to help make us into the new people that you want for us to be our better selves. We pray toward that end in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>